Hello, my name is Sonia Montiel. I am the founder of College Confidence. I am an educator, a mother of a fifth grader and first year college student, wife uh, to my high school sweetheart, and a soccer player through and through. <laughs> and I'm Hillary Bilbrey, inspired living strategist, author, speaker, mama to three teenagers, wife, and adventure seeker. You know, some things are just meant to be. Although we met randomly in a class, Sonia and I really became clear that our work, our values, and our heart align. Soon we began talking about our families and our worries and our businesses, our lives, and we realized we were helping each other move forward into our own confidence and integrity. We understand that many people have this fear of showing such vulnerabilities that you and I were able to get to so quickly, and it's because of that alignment. But that vulnerability and those conversations are really a way to get to the heart of the matter. And so Decided Heart was born, and this is why we would love to invite you to join our conversations. Welcome to another conversation with Sonia and myself, Hillary. We were talking last week about tribes and your identity and how within this sisterhood or the, the groups that you surround yourself with, you really find who you are and the importance of choosing wisely the groups that you find yourself. And as we were talking, it really occurred to Sonia that so much of her identity as well as her tribe stems from her original tribe, which starts with our very special guest, Claudine, who's going to talk to us a little bit today also about her identity as a twin, but how who she is has gone on to inform what she does out in the world and makes her look at the world in a way that is more inclusive of bringing people into that circle as well. So with that, Sonia, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about who this amazing woman is. I'm already excited to meet her. Me too. I just, I, I'm excited to meet her every day when I see her. And so yes, so Claudine Yenishin, you're going to have to, we're going to have to transfer that name a bit. My sister and I, we were named sister as we were growing up. So um, as part of our identity formation is our parents decided that we would call each other by our roles. So you're going to hear instead of Claudine Yenishin or Claudine is sister. So whenever I say sister, it's this beautiful woman right here. Um, and great memory I have of her because um, college, I do college counseling as a profession is I've observed her unfold as this beautiful person who's translated art into something right now that is changing lives on from everything from an individual to a family to a country and so um, I, sister I can't wait to hear um, your work with information design and emergency management you're training FEMA staff right now across the nation love to um, from your words because I say it all the time like how that transformation happened starting with your identity as a twin because I got to process my identity as a twin last episode so now it's your turn so welcome sister so well, thank um, you i am so honored to be in this group this is i've, I've been watching your episodes i'm like oh my gosh i just love being able to share this conversation so thank you so much for both of you for inviting me um i mean if, did we have a choice uh just from birth getting called sister i mean we really our parents if anything i think the one critical thing they did was just anchor us to each other and it's never been wavered in any i can't even remember i see my self-agenity is 
always with my sister growing up. It wasn't maybe until college, maybe end of high school that we started to feel this, this sense of like, oh, we have our own sense of identity. Um, but I have to share the story because the story with my sister and I, we were about, I would say like eight, we we're really young. Um, she was really into Barbies. She just loved playing Barbies. She always wanted her Barbies. And I love G.I. Joe's, for those of you who remember those, and GoBots, which is like Transformers. And she desperately wanted to play with me. And so one of the first memories I have as sort of being separate or different is we liked different, she liked to dress the same also. And I was like, oh, okay, whatevs, we'll, we'll do this for a little bit. But, um, <laughs> and that's the first time I noticed like, oh, I like this and you like this, but how could that be? We're, we're twins. So she came in one time and she, she said, sister, I really want to play with you. And I'm like, okay. And I made her Barbies be the bad guys as I shut them down with my, <laughs> with my GoBots and my GI Joes. And she, she remembers this and um, she didn't love it. Did not love it. I loved it. But it was like this kind of negotiating between this identity of being so unified, not really seeing a separate entity. And then, you know, when you go through puberty, when you're starting to have your self-interest, you start to negotiate that. And I, I remember that as one of the pivotal points. Um, but also, it, it was a part where I started to get really into disasters. So I called my calling now um, to my nine-year-old self being so enthralled with disasters. I did not like art. I did not want to be a graphic designer. I did not want to go to art school. In high school, I wanted, I announced to our parents, as my sister announced that she wanted to be a doctor, and they're just like, <laughs> yeah, just to appease. <laughs> I wanted them to validate me. Obedient daughter. <laughs> Obedient daughter. And our parents were so great. Like, I'm like, oh, they're going to be like, you know, equal, equal. And I told them I wanted to be a forest firefighter. And it was, do you remember that? It was dead silence in the car. It was our graduation dinner. And they're just like, <laughs> I was like, where's my, they didn't even pretend to do that. So, um, but I, it was really an epiphany for me. I really did not want, art was never really part of my vocabulary at that age. I wanted to go out, hold a hose, you know, save a deer. And um, that, my parents were like, you know, we quietly kind of, we quietly will support you because we've always done that all your life, but we're really going to push you in this art school direction. And and it did happen. I went to CalArts, which is a really intense private art school, and went into graphic design, did graphic design, graduated, started working in the field, and then joined Search and Rescue because I am stubborn. <laughs> but can I just add, so a memory there is even though she went to CalArts, she still inserted herself within that culture. I hung out there a lot. So, and speaking of tribe, her tribe was always automatically my tribe. So I went to UCSB, it was about what, an hour and a half drive. I was there every weekend. And she inserted her Star Wars and Kyle Arts does, they don't have no football team, but yet there she was like the leader of creating this pseudo football team. I think you guys didn't even play football, right sis? I don't know. Soccer. It was soccer. Yeah, you, yep. Such a rebel in every sense of that so you always no matter what in like other institution you're placed you still said well i'm inserting myself here so i thought that was really cool and that's such an interesting so listening to sonia too and now listening to you as well um even though sonia was talking about maybe as she was younger not being quite as certain with identity but growing into that she said there really was always with the two of you this support this unconditional understanding 
that you could be and have space to be who you needed to be. Uh, there's so many young women, especially, who would not be confident enough to speak up the way that you did or to be able to insert themselves and, and or assert, really, I'm going to use the word assert themselves and be, you know, assertive is not aggressive. Assertive is holding one's own truth, sure. right? Speaking one's own truth. And I keep on, I'm fascinated by how did that come to be? How were you so, there's so many people that are out there that are not young women and men alike, and I coach them, where the confidence is not there. Sonia gave so much of that credit, she thinks, to the grounding the two of you have in one another of, of knowing that you have a soft place to, to fall as well. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think, uh, you know, um, my partner's an MFT, so I'm going to use this term that makes me sound smarter than I am, but we had a good attachment. <laughs> I, when I really look back, I feel like you know what, and I, and I, so my sister and I are definitely, we are not confrontational. So like, I love that you said that assertion is not aggressive. We are the least, I'm like the least person that wants to speak, you know, against something. It's, it's a very quiet, but more of the confidence that, that comes out and, and learning to follow your intuition and your truth. Um, but I definitely think it was from our, to this day, it's just this unconditional, I, I don't know how many people can experience this unconditional support and love and knowing someone is just going to be there for you but also our dad like our dad single father you know he worked graveyard raising these twin girls um he also modeled quiet assertion and confidence wouldn't you say that Since yeah I, mean, I, I never model for us when really? came to that. Uh, what, what did you say it was quiet assertion yeah, I mean, that's where I say, wow, he was the, the best co soccer coach we ever had. It was because... I was just going to say that. I, and I never realized, but it was because he would just nod or he would just have these quiet conversations that we didn't have to get all emotional. Yeah. Things were a little bit disarray. So yeah, that was, that's a great point. Yeah, I think between those two things, I would attribute that to those two things. And is that something then, do you think having that foundation has helped you now to be able to really tune into that knowing when someone else comes into your life you can feel what the right energy feels like and you can feel what energy that would pull you off that i i definitely think that it makes yeah it makes you more sensitive to other i have a lot of empathy i have a lot of um safe space for people i just have that empathy for people and I, and, and I I just could read a room really well. I mean, I, I teach 15 years now, and I feel like that kind of openness and sensitivity to that makes me a better teacher as well, because I'm dealing with 24 individuals, adults, but still young adults. Um, and that could be really dramatic. And I think that kind of, I wouldn't even call it a skill. It's, an in, it's like an intuition, or because if, if you're grown into it, you kind of just, that's all you know. Um, and that openness that you have, especially with, I only had one sibling. I only have, you know, one sibling that I've never knew what it was like to really fight or have, you know, build walls or anything that I've seen in other relationships. So um, it, I do feel like it, it definitely helps with other people how to read. I, I call it read the room, but you could, like you said, you could um, see the personalities pretty quickly and, um, you know, uh, and, and also the tribe or not. So that Hillary, like I'm like, if my sister, also that trust that her and I have, it's all, it's all through elementary school with our friends. Like, if it's good with you, it's, you know, and there's a sense of trust there too. Yeah. I want to, 
Uh, yeah, go ahead. Something came up and I mean, between you and I, sis, you did have a lot more courage and assertiveness growing up um, than I did. And you're right, maybe it's more of that intuition that you were born with, because I was like, how does she get that? And, you know, when, you know, I'm, you had to come out as an individual in really dramatic ways, especially with our immigrant parents who had very traditional ways of being. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, that took not just normal courage, it took extra courage to, and the way that you claimed your sense of identity was, was so admired by that because I would have been so scared out of my mind. I think because of the obedient daughter thing, I'd be like, nothing to see here, folks, you know, <laughs> and I'm 45, nothing to see here. And you're just like, I claim my stake. This is who I am. And off you go into your adult world, you continue to, like you said, that empathy and that scanning um, and also the protection because I know how protective you are of your time with your family. It's really incredible, and um, I don't know if if that if, if it was a fight that made your work so much more meaningful today. That's you know when I thought about that too. I I didn't we, we've never talked about this, so this is I thought about why I felt like I had the young sister syndrome. I that's a thing, right? Is that a thing? Can we look that up? Uh, <laughs> and I really felt in a lot of ways, even though my sister is twelve minutes older, I just announced that to the world. She shielded me at a lot of the hard stuff. There was hard stuff. We lived all over the world when we were young. I, I heard things went down that I don't even remember, but I my sister was my protector. And I honestly, sister, I think this is it. You shielded, a, you took a lot of that outside world stuff. Why I got to play with my GI Joes. I really, <laughs> I really thought about this one time. And I thought, this is why I have that more, you know, zany, I kind of go and lower in a bit, like my inhibitions are, you know, just out the window. And um, because I, you gave me that space. And so there's also that even with twins, at least in our relationship, there was still that um, dynamic where there was a protector, the older sister. Still this day, we, we make jokes about it in our family. And um, that allowed me to be a little bit more wacky and make, you know, crazy decisions, the art school, you know, stereotype. Um, but I, I, we still see this today, even as sort of like, we're both parents now, and we carried that into our, our parenting and stuff. So that I really thought, I mean, I don't know what you thought. I don't know, Hillary, if you ever heard of this kind of, you know, dynamic, but I really feel like that gave me that space to, to play more. No, I think that that's so interesting. What do you think of that, Sonia? Have you ever thought of that? You know, it, it's interesting. It, you've, you've um, we, again, like we haven't really talked deeply about this before. And so now it's going to be like, you know, in a public episode, which is awesome. Um, you've mentioned, you've hinted it that I was like the protector, the shielder. I felt I consider myself a nurturer. Like I was the, like the mother role of the, in the household. I didn't see myself, and a lot of the memories my sister mentions, I really can't remember that. So maybe it was just kind of like, things are getting rough, <laughs> superpower shield. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that's kind of a, like, it's a cool kind of revelation to think about and ponder a little bit more on. Well, and, and when you do stop and think about that, I think we step into, based on our identity, what we've experienced, what's around us, we step into some of these roles. We bring our gifts to these roles, and it can shape and change the things around us because of that. And Claudine, where, what you ended up going in and doing, I would love to hear a little bit more about that and the inclusiveness that you have in your approach to the work that you do. Because I, I called Sonia, I was listening to one of your talks. And I called Sonia afterwards. And I'm like, oh my God, she's talking about, 
about coming up with all of the people she's trying to, what do they look like? What are they like? What are their needs? How am I going to help them? And, and I'll let you explain more about it. But once you know who they are, you invite them into the room to stay there as you're designing what their exit strategy is going to be in an emergency. What these? So you want to make sure you have recognized the person who is in the wheelchair, the person who is elderly. The per you invite them into the room. I loved that image. And when yeah. you ask them to say, can you tell me about what that process is and and how you feel that who you are has made you open up to that inclusivity yeah i mean you know working it's, it's i'm so passionate about this i'm such an advocate of this because you know i've worked with a lot of emergency management the california governor's office fema and it's very this is my university like every institute this the elementary school everything's top down and it's everything that we're doing wrong is not including the people that it's intended for to be in the decision-making room. And I got my graduate degree in England, so I will blame part of it there because I also was not eyes wide open until I went to England and got my degree in information design where it's inviting other disciplines other than designers. And at first like, how could you make a design decision? I'm the designer, you're the right, you know, it was all very territorial. And then I went to England and all those walls were broken down. And it just literally, re-evaluated everything that I was doing and then to come back and see with you know different lens how everything is set up and it's no wonder that we're having such miscommunication and confusion and you know it's because of this top-down and it's not the fault I'm not blaming the institutions it's the way that they've sort of the culture of it um, I will say when I was in search and rescue it's very authoritative culture emergency management also it's very much about rule following and um and i did it for a two almost two years and and one of the trainings was swift water training so um you get specializations so like on my emt license and i did avalanche training california girl like all these different specialties so one was swift water i did really well in the book work where you have to fill out worksheets and read and i'll like you know ace that then technical work in pools and lakes but then a third part was Kern River up north, which is like class fours, uh, you know, white water. And that weekend I had to get rescued. They literally had to change that because of me, a training for the final certification into a rescue. And that's the first time I was humbled because I didn't, you know, I was like, I'm going to be a search and rescue person. The design's going to be my secondary life. And that's the moment I was humbled and, and got me to England to grad school because I felt what it was to panic. I felt what it was. That's what the cognition part that I deal with so much really pinpointed from that experience is I did everything that I learned killed people. I mean, at the same time, I'm sure. Like, that's really difficult to do. But I did it all at once. And then I was on the side of the hill and I thought, I'm going to go back to design now. <laughs> how can design, how can I merge Instead of keeping my discipline separate, how can I merge these two things together? There's got to be a way. And that's where I spent my grad um, program investigating that. Um, I have to tell you before you, I, I want you to continue on, but it's so funny uh, on the same wavelength here. As you were doing that, I wrote down the word humility um, before you said humble. And I think that that's the piece that's missed so much. Uh, and even, you know, we're looking at some of the race riots that are going on right now. 
and some of the other things that we see. This goes back to a conversation I had years ago, just really quickly. Uh, and Sony, you've heard me tell this story before. There was an entrepreneur that I met who was also a philanthropist, and he was putting solar panels on the top of roofs in, in, and schoolhouses in Africa. I said, oh, that's amazing. That's teaching people how to fish. And he said, yes, but first you have to find out whether or not they like to eat fish. Such a profound moment. And we, we got into these deep discussions about how often well-intentioned people assume, which is actually arrogance without us intending for it to be, assume we know what's best for everyone else, but have the humility to ask, bring them in the room. I mean, I, I just spend, and I still, I learned, you know, all the assumptions and all the, you know, I, I still have to remind myself, Claudine, slow down. Did you ask, you know, I always fight, not fight, but um, argue for a process where they include people that they're talking to as part of the process. And you, it is a hard fight. And I don't, I, then I, I have to constantly remind them, like, well, how do you know that they can read that typeface? How do you know that that color, you know, even for basic things like colorblindness, which is 10% of the pop, 10% of the population is colorblind. And you're using these color combinations that would disappear, make invisible half the information. It's interesting, during my FEMA talk, they did not have a interpreter, a sign language person. Wow. on that deck and here i am on stage talking about inclusive you know and there's no one there to speak to those who are hearing impaired um it's you know it's i don't want it to be the afterthought i'm trying to make that at the get-go like even when i'm teaching my students the foundation should be inclusive design i don't even like the word inclusive i don't like this other it should just be all thinking about it at the same time um, and I, I give lectures on this too because I want to the, the generation the culture shifts when you can change the younger generation to be like what do you mean you're not thinking about this, this is ridiculous you're not thinking about this first you know um, so yeah I mean ugh, it's you know the language the tone everything you have to go back and ask you know it's a tapestry of people too so that makes it really challenging and maybe that's becomes overwhelming for people in decision-making roles to say, how do we say, put on a mask? All this stuff that I saw in COVID, you know, uh, in the very initial March, there were, you know, young people. Young people are not putting their masks on and, you know, they're already starting to territorial in the media. And I told panic buying, you know, I even heard when I was at a, a Stater Brothers, someone behind me is like, just how are these people making, like, they're so stupid for not getting the stuff done when they're supposed to, just, judging judging each other um and i thought this is not the this is cognition that it's i could i could dissect this exactly how people would react and it's because the messaging was so unclear so disconnected inconsistent that this starts to happen that crowd psychology the paralysis you know so um I, the blame game for me is i go back to our decision makers and like i look at them i don't look at the us <laughs> We're just following, you know, the paths that you're making for us. So that's where I'm trying to anchor myself as an in translator or interpreter between the intention, the well-intentioned decision makers, and then the what actually happens on the ground. And then just before we shift, just to make it more clear to our, our listeners or viewers is one thing I learned where you did fire evacuation maps. Um, I think fire evacuation maps, um, tsunami mapping, and um, the accidental arrogance is that the higher ups are saying, well, do it as is. Put every street, every line on a map. That's the reality of it. But people 
you know, you were saying they can't read that in a state of cognitive, like co cognitive panic. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, that's, that's what reality is, but you have to expand the street. You have to make color. You have to dump some of these lines that are meaningless in a state of panic. And it was kind of the oh moment in some of these higher ups to say, oh, so reality isn't translated. So that's where I feel like it's a perfect way of saying, yes, you are the translator, especially like in panic where people literally have hours to get out. They need to look at something from all walks of life and say, I get it. I know where to go for safety. And I just think that's so powerful. I, one thing I, I, I it's my, one of my favorite lines that I dropped to GIS people, science people is um, my maps lie. I said, just letting you know, my maps are the biggest liars. And um, it's, there's a book called How, Lie, How Maps Lie. And I, if you superimpose my map with their map, it is the worst accuracy ever. They do not line up, they're all hand-drawn. And um, it's to convince them, and, and they, I do convince them, they do understand that necessity for altering reality <laughs> um, for the, and I call it the cognitive visual imprint. So that's a, just a fancy word for saying, if you see something, so the London Underground Tube, for anyone who's traveled to England and used a, the, the, line, the color line network, that's the biggest liar on this planet too. That is, you, that does not match exactly the, the way the tube lines work underground. And, but it's been one of the most successful models for public transportation because people can imprint that. Simplify, imprint it, where do I start, where do I get off, that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. And once that theory gets across, then it's understood, oh, that makes sense, you know. So that that's usually a big win when I can convince a panel of scientists and GIS people that they allow me to, you know, lie for better understanding. I love. I was. I was looking. I was listening and looking up really quick at the same time as after talking. Uh, the the South African term Ubuntu, um, U B U N T U, came to mind. So that's what I was as I was listening to you, which is a quality that includes the essential human virtues, compassion, and humanity. It's basically saying we are all one. Yeah. And so it's the idea and the concept. And, and when I'm listening to you and about the access, and, and I know we got very technical there too, uh, but what I'm hearing you say, the base of all of this, and it sort of brings us, it's okay and it's important for us to understand our own identity. It's also important for us to understand that other people have a separate identity but we are part of one. We are not an other. We're a part of one group of humanity and we're trying to move th through this together. So that's where the compassion comes in and the understanding of that. Be okay with who you are, but understand that we don't have to judge this, this person here, that there's no separation. Exactly. I, I, I mean, that's the, the, like, there's no, I like, there's no other, there's no secondary uh, audiences, what we call them. Like, no, they're all at the same level. Um, there's the majority and the minority all at the same level. We have to communicate to all of them just as well and at the same time. So stop treating it like step stones and, you know, oh, we'll, sec we'll do that in the second phase. It's, it's like you said, is the compassion and the unity with, I like to call the tapestry, the quilt, yeah. you know, we can't, so, um, but yes, absolutely. How would you, what would, uh, kind of a last thought, because we could talk for days and hours, and I, I can, I'm picturing entire presentations we can do in class. I mean, we, we could go change the world, idealists right here. I don't know. <laughs> My working definition of idealism yeah. is that it's, that you dream the world can be different, but you act. Yes. 
make it so. There's an action that takes place. And mm -hmm. I see that in you so much. That is such a clear, developed virtue in your identity. And that's so beautiful to listen to and to watch. For those of us who are still finding our way with our anchoring and looking, and, and some of these ideas are new concepts to us, right? Maybe it's new to think about, oh gosh, yeah, inclusivity, what is that? There is something outside my family. How do you, do you have some ideas or thoughts about how to bring that discussion into your family? You know, I mean, if, if you, the easiest way is if you have young ones and you sort of just live the, you lead by, being a role model. I think that is one way to, but you know, I, I could see, I, that's a tough one. I'm not sure how, for me, when I think about the work I do, sometimes I feel guilty about it. Sometimes I feel like, I get a lot of people saying, oh, you're doing good for, you know, you're helping people. But honestly, if I'm being really honest, I feel super selfish because this question I have about disasters about vulnerability about humility it started when i was not going back to when i was nine i'm working that out through my work i'm still i you know this cycle and i think we all have that i think somewhere we all have something that we're trying to work out and um i tell my students this also like you don't have to choose between passions i think that's another thing that i you don't have to pick one you don't have to say i'm going to be this but you can have these multi um, level of interest that find their way to be the one, you know, so um, I think we're coded to think, oh, you, what path are you going to take? And that could freeze you up that you just, just get paralyzed by not um, engaging or committing to it. Um, and it took me to almost drown. <laughs> yeah. So that's why it's such a hard thing to say, like, how could you bring this back? I, it permission, permission to um, take risks because, you know, me being a forced firefighter at, at 18, that was perceived as a huge risk to my parents, right? I mean, I, I could see now being a parent, I'd be like, oh yeah, you're going to art school, you know? <laughs> but um, we don't allow um, each other, and I, I'm, I'm facing that too as a parent, because I'm becoming the parent that's like, don't do that, don't climb the, you know, it's okay to take risks and to keep modeling open-mindedness and compassion um, and, and engage with, with other people outside your neighborhood, <laughs> like get, you know, exposure and going out and, going to the community and talking to the person, you know, um, the cashier, you know, just speaking and opening up your mind that way is a great, I think, model. And I'm saying this from the perspective of my own family unit and having really young ones. And that's what, how we try to emulate that. Well, I, I have to say, as an observer, you have an eight and five-year-old. And the, the, how they articulate their world and their inclusivity, like you could tell that they're constantly looking for inclusiveness and I know, I know it's from you and your partner mm -hmm. uh, because you are always asking the question, how, how does one feel if it was, things were taken, you know, like on the playground and mm -hmm. London, you know, she's the one that's the, she, she's a protector. Like if it's not right, if not, not everyone's included, she's going to kind of assert herself and say, we need to include others. And I, so you're role modeling, right? That's all. I just wanted to say like something's happening in your family where it's like, wow. I am I'm like, Ooh, that, that was assertive. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. You know, you want to pay it forward, get the cycle going upward. Yeah. No, I love it. I'm so grateful for this conversation because I think these are the important conversations and thoughts to have so often. And like I said, we have a situation going on right now in Minneapolis where 
I mean, the streets are literally burning because of the, because of racism, because of these things that are so ingrained. And there's been fear for so long to invite everybody to the table. And there, everyone needs to be present and we need to walk forward in humility, accepting and embracing the fact that we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. And, and that doesn't make us bad people, but that makes us people who respectfully can show up and say, help me, help me learn, help me know. What can I do better? How can I move through this space and make sure everyone, you know, we, we started this whole thing with identity and tribe. And, and really when it started, it was, you know, trusting your tribe and, and picking the people around you. But we, we really do need to focus on the fact that we have the people in our space who help to dictate the energy that we bring to the world. And so choose that wisely, our inner tribe. But we also need to be aware that there is this larger tribe that we are responsible for and need to to uh, to open our arms to as well. So I've appreciated our time together. Sonia, any thoughts that you have before we close things out? No, I'm just in awe. I, um, conversation was just amazing from, I feel like it's an exhale inhale of going really close to us as individuals, as families, and to just really thinking about the wider space that we live in and the people in it. So, no, just pretty enlightened. Thank you, sister, for joining us. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. No, Claudine, it's wonderful. And, and actually, I'd like to give a challenge that we could maybe put out on our Instagram page, which is we sort of close thinking about how can we bring inclusivity to our households? How, we can, how can we make that something that's part of it? You said the role modeling is wonderful. I would love to hear how people are either currently making that a part of their life, share it with us so that we can all become part of the solution, or give us a, you know what, I have an idea based on what I just heard, so this is what I am going to do. Either one of those, I would, we would love to hear that because we really are all in this trying to get to that next place together together <laughs> time is right now it's it's urgent i think it's urgent especially these last couple of days it's just showing how urgent we need to kind of collaborate and join together so all right it is i have hope i have hope i have hope because yeah, things well, bubble, no things bubble to the top when they're in need of clearing yeah. And, and so I have hope in Claudine, people like you out there in the world making such a huge difference and helping to inform the rest of us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank You're you. part of the difference. Oh gosh, let's just hope we can keep that going and um, get people to trust that passion that they have. And if we could get more people to do that and love what they're doing. And um, then I think, like you said, Hillary, without hope, we have nothing. I, I have hope as well. I, sister, I did not know you were going to uh, mention the river or the Kern, the Kern River. Mm. And I'm going to tell what the real story is. I wasn't there. I, I was the one like, oh, I don't do that. That's <laughs> not what I do. Um, she, she was in, you know, MacGyver, right? Hillary, MacGyver days. Would you do yes, that? Yes. Okay. I was like, oh my God. And so my sister was obsessed with gadgets. Anything gadgety, tools, you know. So they're in line at, at Kern River category four and the instructor is saying okay this is how you're going to cross this river you've got to do it this way it's a duck dive or something right this is me my sister telling me when I, and i still remember the details 
during this whole time, my sister's like, look at this cool gadget on my pants. Oh my God, I'm just, so she's all like thinking about the gadget and then it was her turn and she's just like looking around like, huh, okay. So she just swans, she just dives. <laughs> so she doesn't duck dive, she just goes for it and off she goes down. And the funny thing is, there's campers. I don't know how many. Oh God, yes. And so she, my sister is like totally being swept away by these, <laughs> I'm following. And um, the campers were kind of looking out and like, and she's like, oh, it's okay. No worries. I'm okay. I was like, she's literally panicking to her, to her death. So that's yeah, but, but you guys don't worry. I, I'm, oh my gosh. The team back there. Yeah. And now, you know, I didn't um, buckle my helmet, zip up my vest, put my fins on. I lost everything. In my uh, but that's called temporary cognitive paralysis. I was or we lived in um, Portsmouth and, and uh, Whiteley. Oh my gosh, Portsmouth is like right, I put a yeah. ga soccer game there. Right here. Yeah, we're, sister, sorry, you're, now you're gone. Now yeah, yeah. Over, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, 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 no kidding. Yeah. No, but I'm, I wrote children's books coming out of it having to do with safety. So for a while, my leadership work started by training and going in and working with fire and life safety personnel. So you, you did the same thing. That's exactly what I do. It's the same level. It's exact, you know, we pick and then your audience is the it's children knowing how important that is. Yeah. And if, if people could do more of that, whatever the topic is, that's, that's the, that's how we disseminate that. That's how we, yeah. you know, model that. That's amazing. Appreciate. I call sister. Yeah. So I will say to her, I'm like, look, sister. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, because that's a thing. I'm sorry. It's not a, it's a thing. Like, I'm like, yes. It's the, it's the tone, though. If you're like, look, sister, you're like, holy. But look, sis, that's, you know. <laughs> it's a different, yes, yes. Um.